All right, howdy, everybody. I'm Pastor Matt, and I'll be wrapping up our series, Terror to Triumph. Over the last uh, four weeks, we hope that you have been so encouraged by what God has said about what he's doing in history, his kingdom, how it can't be stopped, how our lives are not being wasted as we labor for the Lord, how as we trust and obey Jesus and learn to do all that he's commanded, that he will continue to build his kingdom here in our city, Ontario, in our county, in our state, in our country, and across the nation. That from the time that Jesus ascended back to the throne in heaven, the kingdom has been unleashed, it's been conquering, and nothing has stopped it. Millions upon millions of people have been rescued from the dominion of darkness, brought into the kingdom of the Son that God loves, given redemption, forgiveness for their sins, remade, reborn, given new eternal spirits that will never die. All of us who follow Christ are new creations. We are the first fruits of the new creation that Jesus Christ is bringing into reality. We are alive spiritually and we will never die again. We will never be cut off from our Father again. It cannot be done. And there's a day coming when Christ will wrap up history, complete this project, and there are glorious promises, things too imaginable, too unimaginable to express in words. And yet we should try. We should take these passages we're going to look at today, turn off Netflix, and just read them with our kids and try to imagine what it will be like in the world and in the life to come. This is our hope. This is what we are looking forward to. This is what makes sense of the suffering and trials. This is what allows us to endure the losses and crosses that we all face in this life. This is our heritage that we're passing on to our children and teaching them uh, how to be a part of. This is what they'll be doing in their lives and their kids in their lives as the kingdom expands and expands and expands over the whole globe. 300, 400, 500 years from now, we want our church, Church in the Valley, to still be here. What? Churches don't last for three, four hundred, five hundred years. That's true. Some haven't. Some have. There are some great cathedrals that were built in the European uh, continent. Why do they build these cathedrals for hundreds of years? Why do they do that? Because they expected their children's children's children would be worshiping Christ and building his kingdom. And they wanted a place for them to gather. That was their confidence in the kingdom of God. Why do people go to the furthest ends of the earth to share the gospel with the people of Hawaii and the Philippines and the people of India? Why do they do this? Why do they give up their lives? Why do they just, you know, enjoy life a little bit? And then when they die, they can go to heaven because that's not what they understood the kingdom to be. The kingdom of God is to grow here and now. That heaven is not their final resting place. That this earth is their final resting place. And that after the kingdom is expanded and all the nations have been discipled, then the king will return. And the fullness and the culmination of his work will be done. This is the grand story we're a part of. This is the hope that we have. And we've been looking at elements of this over the last four weeks. And if you've missed out, I want to encourage you to go back and watch every single sermon. Read every single scripture. Let God's word soak into your mind so that you see what he sees and what he's building. And you want to be a part of it so that you'll do the things that you uniquely can do to build the kingdom of God in your home, in your job, at your school, in this city, your whole life, and on through your children's lives. That's the glorious purpose we have. And when we have that kind of purpose and we understand what God is doing, we will suffer, we will be opposed, but we do it joyfully with confidence that nothing can stop us because nothing stopped Christ. Death didn't stop him. Satan didn't stop him. The most powerful empire in the world didn't stop him. They tried to stop the kingdom of God on earth by killing the king from heaven. And God raised him from the dead. 
vindicating Jesus. The highest court in the land was appealed to, and God overruled the nations of the earth. He said, this is my son. He is the king that I have installed, and I give the nations to him as his inheritance. And then Christ, ascending to the Father, said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go, make disciples of the nations. Go get them. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey Everything that I've commanded, because as they do, as they love my law, as they obey my commands, the blessing of God and the advancing of culture will be unleashed on this planet. And that's exactly what the disciples did. And that's exactly what we have seen happen for 2000 years. And it has not stopped now because Joe Biden is the president or because Donald Trump is the president or because of some law that's been passed somewhere or because people are burning cities and tearing down statues. They've been doing this since the beginning of time. These things don't stop the kingdom of God. You cannot take your eye off the prize. You can't be discouraged by events. So turn off the phone and stop scrolling through Facebook and spend this week diving into God's word so that his promises can fill you with courage, fill you with hope, and give you a glorious purpose and meaning to the mundane things that you do every single day. There is nothing mundane when all things are brought together to glorify Christ. There's nothing mundane. This is the life we have. This is the hope we have. This is the calling we've been given. And today... We're going to look at where it all ends. Before we do, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your life. We thank you for your son, who you sent into this world, not to condemn it, but to save it. Jesus didn't come to try to save it. He came to save it. And your son is saving it. We pray that you glorify your son. As you glorified him in the past, glorify him in the present, glorify him in the future. God, give us boldness. Make us bold like your people throughout history to tell everyone that Jesus is Lord. Help it make sense to us. Take away our fear of man. God, cure us of our idolatry, of personal peace and affluence, things that we're more concerned about than your kingdom. Take those things away from us. God, please give us eyes and ears to hear and see what you want to say to us today. Show us the glorious destination that everything is headed to. Please do this in the name of Jesus. Amen. What is Christ doing in history? He is making all things new. He's not making all new things. He's making all things new. If you follow Christ, he has made you new, a new creation. And he wants his kingdom to be full, billions upon billions of people to be a part of this kingdom that he is building. Remember what he told Abraham when he took him outside in the night and he said, look up at the skies. Look at all the stars. Can you count them? There's over 100 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy. Did you know that? 100 billion in just one galaxy. And the Lord said, see all those stars? Your descendants, those that are going to be in the kingdom of God through you, they're more than that. God is not going to save a few people, the frozen chosen. God always intended this planet to be covered, absolutely covered, with an innumerable host of saints. And that is what he is doing. And when it's all said and done, when it's complete, when the kingdom work is is finished on this earth, when God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven, when all men are praying, our Father, hallowed be thy name, then when Christ returns, we'll see these things that he's promising to us today. Here's the first passage. 1 Corinthians 15. What's going to happen in the future? That's what they asked Paul in the church of Corinth. That's what we're asking today. 
the question, what, what's going to happen in the future? And he says this, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Some of your friends have been telling you that Christ has not been raised. That's not true. He has been raised from the dead. He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He's the first bit of new creation, the down payment on the kingdom to come. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits. Then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father after destroying every rule and authority and every power. For he must reign. Not he will reign one day. He must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Christ reigns. This is the most quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament. Psalm 110, the first verse, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool, is the most quoted verse in the New Testament. They actually believed it. They believed that Christ was the one, the king of kings. This is why the Jews tried to make him a king, because they believed that when the Messiah came, he was going to rule the whole world. And he is going to rule the whole world through us, through the proclamation of the gospel. They didn't understand that. They thought it was a top-down thing, like, you know, bring the sword, kill the Romans, and that's it. That, that was not what Christ came to do. The enemy he came to defeat were much bigger and more powerful than Rome. His enemies were sin, Satan, and death, and he beat them all on the cross. And he is reigning now, and he will reign until all the enemies are put under his feet. That is what he did in the past. By rising from the dead, he's the first fruits. That means he's the first piece of the new creation, first completed piece of the new creation. If you want to know what it looks like, to live in that new creation, look at Christ, his resurrected self, with his disciples, eating and talking and laughing, and yet so much more. Just imagining what it'll be like, it just it's delightful. It fills you with hope. In the past, Christ atoned for our sins. It says that in Adam we died. Adam was our head. He was our federal head. He was the representative of the human race before God. And in his sin, we died. Christ has created a new human race. He is the representative of a new humanity. And in Christ, we live. In Adam we die. In Christ we live. Adam's sin brought death on the human race. Christ's righteous obedience brought life to this whole world. And if you follow Christ, you receive that life. You don't earn it. I didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But you get it in your faith in Christ. And then Christ ascended. He went back to the throne of God, the right hand of God. We saw that in Daniel 7. That's a great passage, Daniel 7. We see the Ancient of Days seated on the throne and in a cloud comes the Son of Man, that's the Lord Jesus, and he takes his seat beside the Ancient of Days, that's God the Father. And all dominion and authority and power on earth and in heaven has been given to him. And his kingdom was established and it's a kingdom that cannot be stopped and will not, <clears throat> will not pass away. Who's reigning on earth now? Is it Satan? No. Satan promised Jesus if he would bow and worship him that he could have all the kingdoms of the earth. <clears throat> Satan could make that offer before the cross. Now, well, Jesus took the kingdoms away. Jesus humiliated the forces of darkness. In the book of Colossians, it says that he humiliated, he triumphed over them, he disarmed them by the cross. Jesus was not going to bow to Satan so that he could get the kingdoms of this world as a gift. He took them. He conquered Satan. And now Christ rules. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. He is the king. Jesus is the Lord. And he has sent us all to go out and proclaim it. And that means he's king over Ontario. He's king of America. He's king of Thailand. He's king of your business and your school, of your local city council. The playground, he's king of that as well. It's not that Jesus is, is Lord. He's our Lord. Jesus is Lord. 
And we are calling people to come to know that and accept that and follow him to receive his lordship and not rebel against it. But I don't see that around me. You may say, I see chaos around me. I see all sorts of trouble. Lift your eyes. Look across the sweep of history. What would the disciples have said if we had the same attitude? Christ ascends to the throne. He says, I've got all the authority and power and I'm giving it to you. Now go proclaim the gospel. And as you do, we are going to conquer this world. We're going to knock down the gates of of hell. Satan will not be able to hold people prisoner. I am going to bring them in through you. Now go. And they're like, do we have any money? Nope. Do we have any political power? Nope. Anybody got a cell phone? Mm Mm-mm. What do we got? We got God's word. We have God's spirit and God's promises and the Lord with us. And that's exactly what they had. And that's what they used. They conquered with the sword. But it was the sword of the word of God. And they said, Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. And as they did, people came into the kingdom. And within 300 years, all of Rome had come to Christ. Caesar himself said, Jesus is Lord. And that gospel has gone out to you and I to this day. This is what we mean when we sing the song, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Her king. He is the king of the world. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nation sing. Heaven and nature sing. This is the gospel we proclaim. It's not that you die uh, and go to heaven if you accept Jesus, but in the meantime, you just do whatever you want. That's not the gospel. Yes, when you put your faith in Christ, your sins are atoned for, and if you die, you'll be with the Lord. But that's not even your final resting places you're going to see. The gospel is Jesus is Lord. He's the king of all of it. And that you can come in now and be free from your sin, which is keeping you from obeying him. That is causing you to do all these stupid and destructive things that you can't break free from. But don't worry, in his kingdom is his Holy Spirit. And that's the power you need to break sin. But there's all these people in your life that are powerful and that are intimidating you. Yeah, but you don't have to worry about that. Because King Jesus is more powerful than them. And as you trust him, and you are full of courage, and you do what is right, and you don't shrink back, God slays giants. God walks through the fire with you. God parts the Red Sea. God raises the dead. This is the story of God's people. This is the story of God's people. So in his kingdom, we have been given... The world it says the meek will inherit the earth. The meek will inherit the earth. He really means that. This earth will be given to the sons and daughters of the kingdom. That's what Jesus says. What will it be like when that happens? Like, what's the future going to be like? Because, you know, I see things happening today in our world. And by the way, when you see bad things happening today in our world, when you see, you know, bad laws and bad policies and bad movies and bad this and bad that, that stuff's all downstream from the gospel. Okay? That stuff's all downstream from the gospel. If people put their faith in Christ... He will cause them to love his law and love righteousness. And then they will stop doing the things that displease God. And they will start using their talents and time and treasure and opportunities. Their little kingdoms will begin to glorify Christ. And art gets cleaned up. And science and technology stops being used as a weapon of mass destruction. It's used to fill and subdue the earth. Education is no longer at war with God and godless. But Christ is at the center of all education so that our kids can learn a full-orbed Christian worldview. That's what we do when Christ becomes king in our lives. In our communities, crime, broken homes, uh, uh, the violence between people, that, that starts to dry up. Husbands begin to love their wives. Wives begin to trust and submit themselves to their husbands. Kids learn to obey their parents and honor them. We learn to be responsible, to be self-controlled and self-governing. We are able to build wealth. And our families grow. And our stability in our society starts to grow. And out of that stability comes law and order. That's at the end, by the way. And out of an order that's stable, a political order full of 
of self-governing individuals, then you can have economic prosperity. And oh my goodness, there's medicine and science and art and technology. And let's go build a bridge. Let's paint it red like the Golden Gate Bridge. Why? I don't know. We have a lot of money. Let's just do it. And that kind of stuff that you see, the buildings and all the, all the jewelry of society, that's only possible in a prosperous, thriving society. And that's only possible when there's a stable social political order. And that's only possible when people govern themselves and live by righteousness and justice. And that only happens when Christ is their Lord. Are you saying that there's no just societies without Christ? Can you think of any before the kingdom of God? You want to live in Babylon or Persia? You want to live in Rome? The truth is, is that Christ is king and Lord. And as people come to follow him and obey his laws, then progress is unleashed. And so the future for this world is a future where the kingdom continues to advance through us. If we believe this gospel and we tell people, Jesus is Lord. He loves you. He died for you. He wants to bring you into God's family. He wants to take good care of you. Repent and give up your life of sin. Change your thinking. Turn around and allow God into your life. As we do that, God does things in people that we can't explain or account for. But we've been discouraged into doubting this can happen. And so we stop telling people about Jesus. We feel like, well, I don't know how to do it. All it is is telling people what God has done for you and telling them that Jesus is the Lord. That as you trust and follow him and learn to obey him, all the good things, all the good things. And you can spend weeks and months and years explaining to people the good things and showing them the good things. You don't have to be the master apologist. You just have to testify or witness that you follow Christ. And then the life that you live is a witness of the goodness of God in your life. So what's going to happen at the end? This kingdom continues to expand and expand and expand over the earth. This mustard seed becomes the biggest kingdom in the whole wide world. What's going to happen at the end? Four things that we look forward to. Four things that we fix our hope on. Number one, complete and total justice. Complete and total justice. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books. Books were open. Then another book was open which is the book of life. Huh. I wonder what that is. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up their dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found and written in the book of life. He was thrown into the lake of fire. This is the final judgment. We all want justice. The standards of justice today are so perverted and twisted. It's not justice, it's vengeance. Justice is that which conforms to the law of God. Do you hear a lot of people holding up God's word nowadays? Do you see a lot of social justice warriors calling out for Christ and his justice and his kingdom to be established in America? No, it's just vengeance. It's someone else's definition of justice. It's not justice, but there is justice coming. There is a day when all will stand before the King of Kings, and that's the Lord Jesus, as we've said. And on that day, we will all give an account for our lives, all of us. Some people say, why doesn't God destroy the evil in the world? If he's so good and he's so powerful and if he knows everything, why doesn't he get rid of evil? The answer is because he'd have to get rid of you and he'd have to get rid of me. But there is a day when all men and all women will stand before him. And all will finally get what they deserve. Therefore, we proclaim Christ. 
We call people to repent. We call people to escape the coming wrath of God. The wrath of God that was poured out on the day of judgment, that was poured out already for God's people. Christ took that wrath for us 2,000 years ago on the cross. You don't have to bear it. It's already been paid. It's a free gift. Anyone can have it. Anybody can be free. Anybody can have this salvation. That's why it's called salvation, because you're being saved from the coming wrath on the day of judgment. But what about all the injustice in this world today? What about all the slavery and murder and genocide and rape? What about all the bad things that have been done to me that nobody knows? That these people get away with things? I mean, I'm sure you could think of people in this world who seem to be getting away with it. Nobody. Nobody gets away with it. Because of the books. You read it. You heard God's word. The books. The books have all the information. Everything you've said and done. There is nothing that Stasi in East Germany in 1960 could hide that Christ can't reveal at the coming judgment. There's nothing the Nazis did or the, the Armenian genocide, or the mugger, or some other form of violence that, that the, 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 the criminal thinks they've got away with, that will all be brought out. It will all be revealed. All will be made plain. And the righteous judge of the world, Jesus Christ, will render the verdict. This should leave us with a sense of dread, and a sense of pity, and a sense of hope. Dread in the sense that we we realize if we haven't yet followed Christ, this is our future. If we haven't accepted the free salvation he's offering, this is our future. This is the truth. You've read it there. God is no liar. This is his word. Escape from the coming wrath by renouncing your sin and accepting Christ's atoning sacrifice in your place. He died for you. Live for him. Make that great exchange. It leaves us with a sense of pity. You may hate someone because you think they're getting away with all these bad things and you want to make them pay. But if you think about a person eternally suffering in the lake of fire, that makes you feel like this is a petty squabble between brother and sister. I'm not diminishing the wickedness people do. What I'm saying is in light of the judgment to come and the duration of that judgment, you should feel pity and call people to repent. And we should have hope. Because it says that those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, they will not be thrown in the lake of fire. My name is written in that book of life because of what Jesus did for me. My mother's name is written in that book of life because of what Jesus did for her. My wife and my children. And I want your name to be written in that book too. And it can be if you'll accept the free offer of salvation that Christ is giving you today, right now. Escape the coming wrath. Don't play with fire. Give your life to Christ. He is a good and loving Savior. Who could better love you? Who is better to worship? Who can better be trusted with your future than Christ? No one. The second thing we look forward to is renewed bodies. There's a body coming for you that will never spoil or fade or die. That sounds pretty awesome. Most of us have experienced pain in our lives. My mom... I never saw her run. Not a single day of my life she never ran. Because she had, uh, both of her knees had been um, just badly damaged. She had multiple knee replacement surgeries. She was crippled her whole life that I knew her. She was in pain all the time. It's horrible. The way we suffer physically in this world, it's just, death is one of the ways that the world controls us. I mean, they threaten, I'm going to hurt you physically if you don't do what I say. Suffering and death is the curse. Suffering and pain and all the disabilities The disorders, they're a reminder of the destructive, chaotic nature of sin. 
And many of us endure it every day. Some of you have children who are disabled. Some of you have relatives who have gotten old and they've, their minds have, have gone. And, and you've seen just the, the chaos of it all. And it's just, it, it's, you groan for, the, for freedom from it. You don't want it. You know, you want it to be done, but, but it's just reality. And it's like, what, what can you do? And it can make you feel despair. But no, no, don't despair. Because just like Christ made your spirit new, he will make your body new. There will be a new body and it will last and last forever and ever. Listen to the promise of God. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. But this perishable body must put on imperishable and this mortal body must be put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written in the scriptures. Death is swallowed in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? I felt like this when my mother died this year. I was with her. My dad was with her. My sister was with her. I read to her the words of Christ that I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, he will live. And my mom, she died physically. But I know, I knew, I know now, she is alive now. She's not dead, she's alive, she's not unconscious, she's conscious, she is in joy. It is better. Absent from the body is with the Lord. It is better to be there. But that is not her final place. That's not her final resting place. There will be a day when Christ returns, when the king returns, when she will be given a new body, fit for her new soul. There will be no more wheelchairs, no more doctor's appointments, no no more disabilities, no more hospitals, no more glasses, no more vaccines, no more chemo. Your children who are crippled and disabled, they will run and play and they will speak. This is our hope. God is not a liar. This is a promise. And you can endure quite a lot when you have hope. Hold on to this hope. Do you want to be free from death? Do you want a body that will last forever? Give your life to Christ. What are we going to be doing with these bodies? Just hanging out? You know, floating in the sky? Floating in heaven? Is that what we're doing? A lot of people basically think heaven is something like a far side cartoon. You die, you go to heaven, and that's where you are. Playing a harp and little, like a little, you know, angel baby in a diaper. I don't know where these ideas come from, but they're, they're crazy. This is not, heaven is not our final destination. Heading, heaven is an intermediate place for us. But what, where will we be in these glorified bodies? <clears throat> what are they being given to us for? The same reason they were given to us in the beginning. So that we can live on a good earth. And that's what we look forward to. A renewed Eden. Listen to this. Listen to this. Listen to what God is going to do. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Think renewed. Don't think all things new or uh, all new things. Think all things new. 
Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. In the ancient world, seas were signs of chaos and disorder and everything that was bad, everything that was untamed, everything that was crazy and uncontrollable. It was the source of fear. It was like a symbol for all bad things. And in this new creation, the renewed creation, there will be no disorder, no more chaos. And then it says, I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look. God dwell, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he dwells with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear of their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. That's what's happening in Christ. That's what God is doing in history. Christ is building his new kingdom now, and he is filling it with his people now. He is renewing us in spirit, he will renew us in body, and then he will renew this world for us to dwell in with him. This is a renewed creation, a new heaven and earth unified, just like God intended. When he created everything, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then he, he made in the earth a place for man to dwell with him. And he created a garden in which man and God lived together, face to face. This was a temple, this was a house, this was a home for God and his family to dwell And then he told them, be fruitful, multiply, fill and subdue the earth. Make the whole world Eden. Make the whole world a temple where you and I dwell together. But of course man sinned. The curse was unleashed. The creation itself was subject to futility and frustration. And this creation is full of decay and disease and there's hurricanes and there's tornadoes and things fall apart and there's moth and rust and things are destroyed and nothing is static nothing stays nothing can be built that won't one day wash away like a like a sandcastle it's so frustrating there's nothing final or fixed about this world because this entropy this decay it's just it's tearing all of it down and it it frustrates us but then when Christ returns he makes all things new and God will dwell on the earth with us He will dwell with us. We'll see him face to face. This is always what God wanted. This is why he gave the Israelites a tabernacle, a place where heaven and earth met, where he would dwell with his people. This is why they put that tabernacle in a temple, the temple of David or temple of Solomon. And in that temple, God's spirit filled it. And that's where they went to meet God. And that's why he sent his son, Jesus, who is a living temple where heaven and earth meet, the spirit of God and man united in one. And that's why when Christ was raised from the dead, he sent out his Holy Spirit into us. And now we collectively are his temple. God always wanted to dwell with us as a family. And here at the end, this world has been renewed so that we can do that. That's plants, that's animals, that's birds, that's cats. It's all of it. I call dibs on Hawaii. Okay? Sprinkles, you can come visit, but we call dibs on Hawaii. I'm only half kidding because Hawaii is going to be there. Spain's going to be there. Africa is going to be there. I don't know if to be called that, but this world was not made to be burned up and destroyed. It will be redeemed just like our bodies were redeemed and our bodies were redeemed just like our spirits were redeemed. And it was all done by the Lord Jesus. That's what's coming. Unbelievable. It's as if it's as if the sin didn't occur and Adam and Eve had children and children and children and children and children. And over you know thousands of years, the planet is full of people and they all worship Christ. And the whole planet is, a, is, a, is, a, is, a, is like a, a global Eden. That's what we see coming at the end. God never skipped a beat. He never had a plan B. He still accomplished what he started to accomplish through his son, Jesus. How awesome is that? Wow. 
what do we do? You know, we've got these glorified bodies on this glorified earth. What do we do? The answer is, what we do is rule and reign with Jesus on this earth forever and ever. There is a restored rule for the human race. This is what God created us to do, remember? Remember what he said to Adam and Eve? Be fruitful and multiply, fill and subdue the earth, rule over. And then he lists out all the rule. We are to be rulers and reigners of this earth. We are to be uh, image bearers of God. We, we reflect God's image into this world, and we reflect the glory of this world back up to God in praise. We are to rule and reign over this planet. That was always the design for the human race, and that is what you see happening at the end. Here's what Jesus says to the one who conquers. I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. My father sent me. I conquered. I sat down on his throne. I send you into this world to conquer with the same gospel that I conquered with. And then you will sit down with me on my throne. What does that mean? Over this world. Then it says, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. It will be as God always intended. Heaven and earth together as one. The whole earth, the whole cosmos filled with the presence of God. Global Eden, art and science and food and in and out. Maybe certainly going to be better than in and out. All my senses turned up to a 10, forever young, a body that never fades with my God, with his people forever. No curse, no death, no sin, no destruction, none of that stuff. And on this earth, we inherit the earth. We get it all with him. Our exile from the garden is over. We're going back there, but it's the whole planet now. The whole planet's Eden. And it's called the wedding supper of the Lamb. That's what it's called. You see, just as God created Adam, and from Adam he made Eve from the side of the man, and then he brought her to his son and gave her to his son to rule and reign over the earth. So God sent his son, the second Adam, and from the wounded side as the blood flowed, we were cleansed for sins and reborn. Out of the death of Christ, out of the wound of his side, his people were created, raised from the dead, resurrected to new life. And this multitude of people have been brought to the Son by the Father, the bride of Christ. And we will be with our husband, the Lord Jesus, to rule and reign forever on this earth as Adam and Eve were to rule and reign on this earth forever. The story never stopped. God was never thwarted. This is the gospel. The whole thing is the gospel that we share with people. How do we respond? We respond with repentance, with belief, and with conquering. That's what we do. Listen to the words of Jesus. And he who seated on the throne, behold, I am making all things new. He said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Believe what I'm telling you. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I started it, I'm I'm working in it now, and I'm going to finish it. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. It's free. This life is free. This eternal life is for all people. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He gave the world for you. If you have not decided that you will follow Christ and give your life to him and put your faith in him and give your obedience to him. Why? What are you holding back? The world that we're in, it's all going to be judged. It's all going to be swept away. And the new world that's going to be reborn, remade, that's the world. That's the only world that's going to last. Come into the kingdom. Follow the king. Put your faith in Christ. 
he will not let you down. The one who conquers will have this heritage. This heritage, this inheritance, this is what we teach our children. This is, this is what they're being given. This kingdom, this work, this is their future. This is our heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, for the murderer, the sexually immoral, the sorcerer, the idolater, all the liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. How do we respond? We should be filled simultaneously with hope and godly fear. Let us confess and repent our sin. Confess cowardice and faithlessness. If you feared man this year, if you're afraid of what the cool kids will say about you and what the powerful will do to you, and so you're staying quiet, you're hiding your lamp under the bowl, you're no longer salt and light, you're afraid to speak up for God and his word and the truth, you want to keep your faith private and you refuse to bring it into the public square to proclaim Jesus is Lord because you're afraid of what people will do to you, repent. Repent. You don't have to be afraid. Your God is with you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be afraid. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. That's his promise. Repent of hatred and murder. If you're a part of this kind of crazy, woke, Marxist crowd that's trying to burn the country down, just give it up. There's no justice there. The justice comes from the just judge. That's the Lord Jesus. And he will teach you to remove the wickedness in your life, the speck of salt, the plank in your eye, before he unleashes you to remove the plank from society. He will make you a person of peace and love. He will make you a person of grace and mercy and patience. And then you will be fit to exercise justice, first in your life and in your home and in your church and then out into your community. Repent of bitterness or anger, any envy, any jealousy, any any malice or contempt that you have for someone, even someone who's dead now, who's hurt you. They will get justice. Pray for those that are alive that they would actually receive mercy as you have, if you have. Have pity. Sexual immorality and idolatry. This is the time we live in. Sexually immoral times, idolatrous times. Times where the world says, you will enjoy this life if you abandon God's sexual morality, but we do not do so. We put our faith in Christ. We adhere to his commands and his law. Marriage between a man and a woman, covenanted before God is the only place in which sex is to be experienced. It is the the fire that welds together a man and a woman. It is a glorious gift, and all other forms of sexual activity are sinful and destructive. This is clear in the scriptures. And we do not compromise with our culture or hold back the truth so that they'll be nice to us. We don't give in to idolatry. We don't allow the culture to say, if you stay quiet, we'll give you a job. If you stay quiet, we'll give you some money. If you stay quiet, we'll give you a stimulus. But don't be talking about Jesus. You can do it at home, keep it at the church, but don't you bring it over here. That is not the kingdom we're a part of. That's not the king we serve. We are called to claim Jesus is Lord. We do it with respect, with gentleness. We show example. We love and serve. We sacrifice. We're the first ones to lay down our lives, but we do not compromise the message. And idolatry, a little bit of peace, a little bit of happiness, a little bit of retirement, a little bit of ease and comfort, just kind of keep it, keep it down, then you can have these things. That's idolatry. We repent of it. We accept the good gifts God has given us. It's not wrong to have a house or have good things, but those things are with an open hand and we will lay all of them down and we will pour them out so that the kingdom of God advances now, tomorrow, through our children, over the generations, all the way until the completion. Our king is making all things new. So believe his words. Don't doubt them. He says that this is trustworthy and true. Believe what he has said today. And please, if you have not yet decided 
to follow Christ, to accept his forgiveness, to make him your Lord and Savior, accept the eternal life, the living water for free. Receive this heritage, teach it to your children, and go and conquer. Because Christ is with you. And as you proclaim the gospel, as you tell people about Jesus, the same thing he's been doing for 2,000 years, he will do for another 2,000 years. The same gospel that transformed Europe, that transformed America, that, that transformed the Hawaiian Islands, that transformed so many lives and so many families and so many people, that gospel will do it now, if we will be bold to proclaim it. May God bless us. May our church last for 100 years. May thousands upon thousands of people in Ontario, 100 years from now, serve and worship Jesus Christ because of how we've lived our lives, how we've worked together, and how we've passed that on to our children. That's the vision. We've passed it on to them, and that kingdom is expanding. So please, as a form of next step, repent and believe the gospel. Get more involved in this kingdom colony called Church in the Valley. Participate in what we're doing. And finally, don't be ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God, the salvation of the world. Go out and tell people this week. Tell your neighbors, tell your coworkers, tell your families and friends. And gather your family around these passages this week and talk about them. Sing them. Imagine what it will be like. Fill yourself with hope and confidence and allow God to do what only he can do, which is make this world, this world on earth, as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your power. We thank you for the promises. Oh, Lord, please drive these things deep into our hearts. Please use it to stir us to action. Father, for those here who have not decided, those that realize this is the day, please accept their prayer. Accept their prayer, their, their sincere-hearted prayer. God, give them eternal life. God, I pray for those believers who have grown cold or apathetic, distracted by idolatry, crippled by fear, been deceived by, by messages that the future is just going to get worse and worse. So what's the point? God, I pray that you, that you would give them repentance, that you would give them understanding, and that you would renew their power and their faith to serve and obey you. This week, please give us unity as a church. Please help us to work together to bring all things into subjection to you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for these things. We pray them in your name. Amen.